Well, I'm delighted to have with me today Abby Taylor, who is the uh, Innovation Manager with ELRA's Humanitarian Innovation Fund. And fascinating role. Uh, I've worked with Abby on a couple of occasions, and it's really fascinating what she's working on and what the fund is working on. But Abby, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about this job title. What does an Innovation Manager do in the uh, humanitarian sector? Yeah, thanks, John, and, and thanks for inviting me to speak about my experiences. Um, so my role is really focused on supporting innovators who are developing solutions to uh, complex challenges, usually, um, to improve humanitarian action. So the Humanitarian Innovation Fund was set up as a program of ELRA about 10 years ago now um, in response to kind of increasing demand and calls for, for more innovation and, and better support for innovation in the humanitarian sector. As you might imagine, humanitarians are incredibly innovative mm. by nature. Yep. They're operating really complex and challenging environments and problems need to be solved very, very rapidly and often with, you know, uh, limited resources and, and all of those kind of things. So it's kind of about, you know, capturing and mobilizing that innovative spirit and, and nature which is inherent and you know making it into something larger and, and more sustained and, and longer term problem solving uh, essentially so that's the kind of sphere in which I operate um, and so the, the humanitarian innovation fund funds innovators uh, we're a grant funding mechanism <coughs> Um, so my role as an innovation manager is is essentially to find innovators, support innovators, and then learn from innovators, and so repeat the cycle. Um, and I work in a team of, of innovation managers, and we each have our own kind of, you might say, specialisms. Um, a large part of my focus is how do you scale innovation? So how do you take pilots mm-hmm. and convert them into kind of... Um, mainstream solutions which are, are used at scale in the sector. Um, so we design funding challenges to identify the most promising innovations, the ideas or pilots that, that, that we that enter at many different stages uh, in the innovation journey. Um, for me, obviously, mainly at the, the later stages of development. And then we support them. So we provide them grant funding, but we also provide a lot of non-financial support. Mm. So. Uh, particularly through workshops and, and mentoring and coaching. Some of that we do ourselves and some of it um, we bring in outside expertise, which is more more specialised. And then really importantly in our sector, um, of the humanitarian space, is we learn from, from what they're doing. You know, there aren't huge numbers of, you know, giant success stories. So, and it's really complex. Um, problem space. Uh, mm-hmm. So, so we, we learn what works, what doesn't work, and we try and share that as much as possible with with uh, you know the other actors who are working in our space. Um, yeah. Well, so it's a, it, it sounds absolutely huge, but of course the challenge that you're addressing is even bigger. So really important. Um, what's interesting, of course, is that's a whole spectrum from enabling, supporting innovations, the things through to building the capacity to do it, the skill set. So quite a big remit. Um, it begs the question for me then, how did you get here? Can you tell us a little bit about your journey to becoming an innovation manager? Yeah, I, I took... A meandering journey, I think you could you could say, um, which whether it makes sense or not, I don't know. Um, 
But yeah, I would say I've done quite a lot of different things in my short, what you might call a career. I would not necessarily use that term. Um, but, you know, I've got a, a degree in politics. Um, and while I was at university, I um, got very interested in, well, really I wanted to travel. Mm -hmm. So I did some international volunteering, which is a, a kind of common route for undergrad students. Um, and, you know, that was great. I had a great time. Did some volunteering in, in Uganda, um, in quite a rural location for a summer. Um, I don't think it had huge, huge impact. Uh, it had a, a quite a relative impact on me. Um, but when I came back, I became president of the university society that was, you know, involved in organizing these trips and sending them. And that was the point at which I thought, oh my goodness, what are we doing here? Mm -hmm. And I got very um, kind of interested in how that whole system worked, how, how you know, people can add value and what was volunteering all about. So anyway, um, and at the same time through my degree, I got very involved in uh, or interested in kind of conflict. Uh, conflict resolution, mm. particularly Northern Ireland, um, being you know for generation I am incredibly important um, for a British student to understand. So that led me to a master's in in war, um, mm. in conflict security and development um, at King's College. So that sent me to London, and I did that part time. And the reason I did it part time was because I still had no idea what I wanted to do. But that gave me the opportunity to do lots of different volunteering. So I got involved with um, some kind of, uh, I guess, advocacy and support work that was going on around student volunteering, and got involved with engineers without borders, and just tried a lot of different things. Mm. And yeah, I mean that that I suppose engineers without borders. I then ended up doing a lot of fundraising, which then took me in that direction. So I've done a couple of fundraising jobs subsequent to that. Um, and then from there, got more into engineering for international development. I'm not an engineer. <laughs> so that kind of took me towards entrepreneurship and innovation and that space. And I think the thread through all of that point was, was all of the roles were about how do you support people to do what they want to do to make the world a better place, whatever that is for that mm. person. Uh, um, but yeah, so kind of found myself at, at this uh, intersection of engineering, entrepreneurship, and innovation. Um, so I did some interesting work there, then ended up working for a kind of UN initiative for a short time, so moved back to Geneva, got to understand how some of those systems work in the, in the UN world, and then kind of Geneva didn't really agree with me, um, <laughs> and the reality of UNHQ people built for it who moved to Nepal um, where I had the opportunity to work with a, a really amazing organization field ready um, where their director mm -hmm. was editing a book um, called managing humanitarian innovation and mm -hmm. um, one way or the other I ended up kind of co-editing well I did co-edited this book with Eric um, and so you know really got some very deep insights into mm -hmm the world of humanitarian innovation. Um, so it was quite a meandering journey, but, but that got me there. So I was, I was in Nepal in about 2019, so after the earthquake, but quite a long time after the earthquake. Um, yeah, then we left there, went to Sydney. 
I worked with a business model consultant, strategy and business model consultant for a small firm there supporting not-for-profit. Um, and then, you know, just too far from home after a couple of years, <laughs> so I came back to, to the UK, but really saw this opportunity with the Humanitarian Innovation Fund, who I've been aware of for, for many years through that work that I've been doing. Saw the, saw the role come up and I thought, that's, mm. that's the one I want. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I came back for it and, yeah, was fortunate enough to, um, to, to get the job um, with some amazing colleagues, and, and here I am two years later. Yeah. So, yeah, like I say, meandering journey. Oh, but a fascinating one. And, and I think there's a, a couple of important threads there. I guess for me, one that stands out is um, we often think of social innovation as somehow different to what goes on in companies like Google. Of course, it isn't. If anything, the need for a disciplined approach is even more important because we have limited resources and they're often very hard to control in the way a corporation might so in a sense, the uh, the skill set which you've clearly uh, absorbed through a variety of different routes, fascinating, uh, is enormously valuable. Uh, I wonder if you could tell us then uh, a little bit more about your um, your typical day and, and perhaps talk about a couple of projects you're working on. Just give us some examples of what is innovation management in the humanitarian context. Yeah, um, so I think... This might be a predictable answer, but there is no such thing as a typical day. <laughs> um, but maybe uh, it would be helpful for me to, to share a few things that I've done this week. Mm. Um, so we're, we're three days into the week, and I have done a wide range of things, which actually are fairly typical. Um, so started the week with a workshop for innovators, um, really focused on helping to build their skills and knowledge around what it takes to scale in innovation. So helping them to understand, you know, the things that they will need to consider in terms of the innovation itself, in terms of the business model, in terms of the, the people around them, the partners, stakeholders, others in their value network, around evidentiary requirements because of course evidence in the humanitarian sector mm. is incredibly important and yeah. um, we need to know that what we do uh, works and it improves outcomes for people affected by humanitarian crises and, and really importantly that there's no risk of harm to those people mm. because you know that's that's um unforgivable and, and again you know that the ethos of what anyone working in this sector um is about so yeah, spend the afternoon doing that with some uh, really interesting innovation themes. Um, then one of the other things I've been doing is, is finalising a report, which is about um, is about that that question of evidence for scaling and how that how the requirement changes once you get beyond uh, an, a successful pilot or proof of concept concept mm. uh, proof of concept <laughs> yes um, <laughs> then you know what do you need for scaling and what you need for scaling is to bring more people on the journey so um, every, everything kind of uh, increases in complexity uh, I would say at that stage so yeah finalizing that report uh, yesterday I, I uh, attended a workshop around how you include um, how you improve the participation of people affected by crises in the development of innovations. So one of the things that makes innovation in humanitarian settings really complex is that uh, your user and your target impact group, and in fact the buyer of the innovation, are often different people. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and it might be a lot of different people. <laughs> um, so whereas, you know, if I buy a phone, I'm the person who buys it, uses it, and gets the benefit from it. If you're developing uh, a water filter, for example, it might be funded by a donor, bought by an aid agency. It has to be used in, in many ways by both an aid worker and uh, the, you know, a person affected by crisis who needs access to, to clean water. And there's kind of a end to play there. Um, so you know, it, it's, it's very different. Um, so developing mm-hmm. any other innovation and how you involve users and user-centered design and all of those things that just a whole new level of complexity mm-hmm. in the humanitarian world. Um, so we're, we at the, at the Humanitarian Innovation Fund, we've been doing a lot of work to really increase the level of understanding, knowledge, support available to help innovators to do that because we know it's critical to, to good innovation, effective solutions and ethical solutions, things that will work, that people use but it's very hard to do. Um, so very interesting workshop on that yesterday. From there, I went straight into what we call a funding committee meeting. Um, so that was the meeting to decide on our next cohort of, of grantees, or in this case, just uh, the selection of the one grant, an amazing innovation team based in the Philippines. Um, and then today is going to be about planning my next workshop for innovators. Um, and you know, throughout the week, I spend a lot of time talking with other supporters of innovation, whether that's my colleagues or their innovation managers. But there are a few different organisations that do similar things to the, the the HIF around the world. So you know, I talk to them as much as I can as well to, to learn from what they're doing and share what we've been doing. Um, so there's always a good a good amount of that in there too. Yeah. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm exhausted just hearing you talk about it, but. Uh, but what's interesting is you're touching on some of the really big themes around managing innovation uh, that, that there are major research programs still trying to look at. Um, the question of moving to scale rather than just the startup question, the challenge of bringing users in, um, the issue of working with multiple stakeholders and, and, and managing ecosystems. These are all sort of frontline issues which you're clearly working with and experiencing on a day to day basis. Um, Maybe another question sort of half linked to that. This is a sector which didn't, as you said, formally consider managing innovation until relatively recently. They've been doing innovation all along, but the thought of being able to repeat the trick and get better at doing it by learning, by managing it, that's fairly recent, maybe the last 10 years or so. Um, I wonder if you could sort of do this sort of looking back and looking forward. Where do you think the progress has been? What are the the achievements that the sector has made? And where are the big challenges on the horizon? Uh, Yeah, that's a really, uh, really interesting question, John, and a big one. Um, I think the big, the really big achievement is that there is, I would say now, a very strong ecosystem for supporting humanitarian innovation. So there are a number of funds, like the Humanitarian Innovation Fund, um, to support the development of innovations, and there's increasing knowledge about how you do that uh, effectively. So I think you know the, the transition there is is actually huge, um, and the yeah, just the growth in the sector uh, is is amazing. So I think that's that's our big our big success, you know, and that, and there are some great success stories of um, innovations 
changing the way that um, that aid is delivered. So cash programming is is often cited as a big example, or um, a change in the way that malnutrition is treated. So taking it um, out of necessarily being in clinic settings into the community, mm-hmm. which is just much better in, in a lot of different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, it's 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 all about the impact. Um, but the fact that that support system exists for me is amazing. But I think the big challenge is now we're at a point where there are a lot of, of, of kind of innovations that have proof of concept, but the barriers to scaling those mm-hmm. and implementing them kind of in the mainstream is still really, really challenging. Um, and there's a lot of reasons why that's the case. Some of them are, are very good reasons. Some of them are very frustrating reasons. Um, and, and they're not very well understood. Uh, so we're, at, you know, one of the things we can do at the HIF is we're doing a lot of research into that. So understanding how procurement systems work um, in aid agencies. Mm. Why is it so hard to sell a new kind of hand washing station to an aid agency? Um, mm. And how do we get the the numbers large enough to make it kind of a, a viable opportunity? Um, because actually, when you're in the aid sector, it feels quite big, but in comparison with with the rest of the world, it's very small. So the number of hand washing stations that you purchase is relatively low, etc. So you know, it, we haven't really faced faced up to the reality of some of those complexities before. Um, and and you know, decision making is quite complex. Um, lots and lots of people uh, are involved in most a lot of decisions that are made uh, about humanitarian um, response. Um, which by human nature makes it very easy for the answer to ultimately be no rather than yes. It's easier for people to say no than mm. to say yes. And that, that's a human thing rather than a humanitarian thing. But of course, you know, there, there is a real fear of failure and the risk that that could um, pose to people affected by crises and, and that is the, the ultimate worst case scenario. So, yeah, there's, there's really a lot of um, challenges that still exist, but... You know, I'm, I'm optimistic because there are a lot of people who are recognizing those challenges and, and the need to overcome them. Um, you know, we, we can we can deliver aid better. Um, and I think there's a recognition of that um, and, and a willingness to change. But it's just a very, it's a hard system to change. Yes, indeed. Yeah. But, but I, as a student of innovation, I'm fascinated by the fact that uh, right now, sadly, we're in the middle of this dreadful pandemic, which is a crisis global. Um, and we're doing a lot of new things around innovation because we're having to assemble odd coalitions, crowdsource, all this kind of thing. And of course, it strikes me that that's the world you tend to ha- inhabit on a daily basis when you're trying to manage innovation in the sector. So um, it's, it's, it's good to hear some of the optimism and indeed to look back at some of the achievements. Um, Abby, maybe one last question, if I could. Um, if I take anything from this interview, it's a kind of picture of you juggling all sorts of balls in the air and managing not to drop them. Um, it's a very varied job, a very challenging one. Um, you've... Uh, accumulated a lot of experience you brought a lot in but you've clearly built that as you've gone along um could i perhaps ask you for a moment to be auntie abby i know you're far too young to be auntie abby but auntie abby and um if you were giving some advice to someone starting out in a career in innovation management in whatever kind of organization any tips you'd give them um i think 
think there's probably two things that stand out to me. Uh, one is there's no such thing as a stupid question. If you're wondering, <laughs> someone else is wondering, and and someone uh, in in a previous role gave me that confidence to to truly believe that, and it has held me in very good stead um, since then. So you know, never worry about asking what, what could be a stupid question. Um, and the second thing is to to trust your instincts, really. Um, you know, I said at at the beginning I wouldn't see what I've done as a career, and and I. You know, the way that I do see that is I've followed a series of interesting projects and when something's come up which has caught my attention and it's just felt like the right thing to do, I've gone and done it and uh, some of that's worked, some of it hasn't, but it's it's all, you know, of course contributed to where I am now. So I think, you know, I, I, see, I see quite a big hesitation to that approach. In, in many people being cautious about that and the need for a career. You know, I don't necessarily see myself as a career innovation manager, um, but you know, what I'm doing right now is the right thing. Um, and, and it's incredibly interesting, incredibly varied. It's an amazing job, um, but yeah, it's, it's not necessarily the last thing that I'll do. <laughs> That's lovely, Abby. Thank you so much for giving us uh, uh, quite a lot of a personal perspective, but certainly a wonderful insight into a a very interesting and different context for innovation management. Um, I guess if people would like to know more about the the HIF, the Humanitarian Innovation Fund, they can find out. I'll put a website link at the end of this. But, uh, But for now, Abby, thank you so much. Great. Thanks, John.